In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. If you grew up in the church, I wonder if you ever noticed the power of Scripture to evoke memory. If you notice that just like the smell of a family recipe baking or the sound of an old song on the radio, hearing a particular passage can transport you back to an incredibly specific moment in time. For me, today's gospel reading brings with it a vivid memory of the Sunday I was confirmed. I was in eighth grade in a large Presbyterian church And one of my class's requirements was to perform in a musical that took place as part of our confirmation service. If any of you are starting confirmation prep here in January, please do not worry. This will never happen. (laughs) One of the final scenes of this musical featured Jesus in a white robe and a fake beard separating the sheep from the goats. I was a goat. I remember watching as he motioned for the sheep to gather on his right side, and then he turned to us and pointed to his left. Go away, he told us. I never want to see you again. As jarring as this scene sounds when acted out by eighth graders, the imagery offered by the gospel itself is downright terrifying. The chapters leading up to the passage we just heard describe the darkness and chaos of the last days, which are interrupted by the arrival of the Son of Man, suddenly, at a moment no one expects. In the Old Testament book of Daniel, the Son of Man is a cosmic ruler who presides over final judgment. And that's how Jesus self-identifies here, as the king who will be seated on the throne at the end of time whose ultimate and total authority will be recognized by the angels gathered around him and the nations spread out at his feet. Like a shepherd who gathers sheep into one place and goats into another, this cosmic ruler separates the nations into two groups, one that is welcomed into the kingdom of God and one that is forever excluded. The deciding criterion, of course, is treatment of the marginalized, with whom Jesus also self-identifies. As each nation has nourished, clothed, welcomed, or visited the least of these, or failed to do so, so also they have done or failed to do to the Son of Man himself. The question is how we are supposed to understand what this means for us. When we hear this passage, it's easy to imagine Jesus as a sort of cosmic mystery shopper, hidden in plain sight, waiting to pop out and pronounce eternal reward or condemnation based on the quality of our customer service. But I think there are multiple problems with this. The first is that this idea that some people will be in and others will be out makes it way too easy for us to assume we know who's who. We have a natural inclination to separate ourselves from those who act and believe differently from us, to label them wrong and bad and ourselves right and good. 
But the truth is that based on the paradigm presented in Matthew 25, we're all in trouble. Jesus doesn't need to be a mystery shopper because he already knows that none of us would pass the test. Poverty and sickness, violence and injustice are ubiquitous. So much so that even the most socially conscious among us fails to turn toward them, to be attuned to them in all the ways Jesus demands. So are we sheep or are we goats? The answer is yes. Yes, we are. Another problem with the idea of cosmic ruler Jesus designating an in-group and an out-group is that it's based on a model of governance intrinsic to humanity, not the model of governance intrinsic to God. We are so enmeshed in a society that depends on hierarchy, discipline, and exclusion to function that it's difficult to envision anything else. And yet, on this feast day of Christ the King, we are asked to imagine what is almost unimaginable, to grasp at the possibility of a reign so radical and subversive that it's largely beyond our capacity to articulate. This is, in fact, precisely the reign that Jesus articulates in the Gospel, when he identifies himself so closely with the marginalized as to become indistinguishable from them. Because for Jesus, kingship is rooted not in hierarchy or division, but in presence. And justice flows not from a motivation to reward or punish, but from the irresistible compassion through which he feels our pain as if it were his own. And so with this paradigm of kingship in mind, I wonder what happens if we hear the parable of the sheep and the goats, not as an expression of Jesus's intention to save some people and throw away others, but as a charge to every single one of us to cast out the things within us that keep our sense of justice from looking like his to eliminate what prevents us from being fully present to the suffering of those around us. A 2019 study from the Penn State Department of Psychology explores the concept of selective empathy. The study argues that while we sometimes feel compassion innately without trying, at other times we can choose whether and toward whom we're empathetic and we frequently opt out. Empathy requires considerable mental effort, the study concludes, and we avoid it out of a perception that engaging would be too hard, would be too draining, emotionally, socially, or financially. From Gaza and Israel, Sudan and Ukraine, to Franklin Street, and even our own friends and families, we often hold ourselves apart from suffering, either because it feels too different from our own lived experience to be comprehensible, or because it feels way too close to home. We refrain from speaking on behalf of the marginalized because we're afraid of the social consequences of saying the wrong thing. We drive past the lady on the corner because we're running late, and who carries cash these days anyway? Now, it's important that we don't confuse this tendency towards selective empathy with our vital need to cultivate healthy boundaries, 
We have to care for ourselves to be able to help others. As Jesus demonstrates, each of the many times in the Gospels, he runs away from a desperate crowd. What I'm saying, and what I wonder if Jesus might be saying in today's Gospel, is that when we fail to engage with those in need out of fear, self-centeredness, distraction, or avoidance of difference, that this is what separates us from Christ himself. As with many of the more challenging lessons in my life thus far, I came face to face with the reality of my own selective empathy during my time as a hospital chaplain. A few afternoons a week, I would make rounds through my assigned units, knocking on doors to see if anyone wanted to talk. One afternoon, I found myself in the room of a newly admitted patient, an older man I'll call Craig. Craig, as it turns out, did want to talk, and the things he said rubbed me the wrong way pretty much immediately. Having spent a long time in my comfortable divinity school bubble, I was pretty sure I knew good theology when I heard it, and this was not it. I decided that Craig and I didn't agree on much of anything about God or politics or life in general, and that any time we spent together, probably wouldn't be all that productive. And even after he told me he'd have no visitors, that he was estranged from his entire family, I found myself making excuses not to see him. A week or so later, I was standing in the hallway making notes on another patient's chart when I realized I could hear Craig crying through his open door. I went into his room and found him with his face in his hands. He told me that his tumors, which were causing him unbearable pain, were no longer considered treatable, and that he'd be discharged to a hospice facility the next day. We were quiet for a minute, and then he asked, Why do you think that God is punishing me like this? I don't know what I did wrong. In that moment, the general sense of distaste that I'd experienced towards Craig was unexpectedly eclipsed by something different, a powerful feeling of compassion and love, a feeling that seemed like it originated from me but also from somewhere else. I felt an overwhelming desire for this person to be able to come to terms with his own death without feeling like it was being inflicted on him by a God that he obviously cared for deeply. I know you've told me before that you feel very close to God, I found myself saying. Would you be willing to share more about that? And so Craig told me his story. It wasn't my story, and parts of it made me uncomfortable. But it was the story of a life lived in relationship with God, a God who brought healing in the midst of brokenness and pain. He was able to hear, as he told it, that God had been with him through the hard things in his life rather than causing those things to happen to him. I didn't do anything except listen. But as he finished talking, Craig looked directly at me. Thank you, he said. You are my good friend. I love you. I'll see you in heaven. And sure enough, there was Jesus staring at me through the eyes of this person that I didn't really like and still don't agree with. This time next week, it will be Advent, 
the season of the church year when we prepare our hearts and minds for God's arrival among us in the form of a tiny, helpless child. But as we await the incarnation, may we remember that God is always already here, that God reveals God's self every time one of our neighbors cries out to be safe, clothed, and nourished, or simply to be seen and loved. And while the needs of our world are far greater than any of us could consistently or sustainably respond to, I dare to believe that this isn't what Jesus, with his talk of sheep and goats, is asking of us. What he is asking is that we opt in, that we notice, and that we cast out fear and prejudice and distraction and all the other things that keep us from choosing to engage. When we do this, we join the kingdom of the one for whom justice and compassion are one and the same. May that kingdom come. Amen. The Chapel of the Cross is an Episcopal church in the heart of Chapel Hill and the university community. Find out more at thechapelofthecross.org. There you can find our latest news and events, connect with our pastoral care team, Faith in Action Ministries, and offer a prayer request. You can also find us on social media, on Instagram at The Chapel of the Cross, and on Facebook and Twitter at C-O-T-C, Chapel Hill. May you be nourished by the word to serve in the world.